So guys, we're going to finish 1 Peter today, if you guys would stand. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, looking at the last five verses of the book. And just for the flow of it, I'm going to read, like I did last week, I'm going to read verses 6 through 14. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Salvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. You guys can be seated. Father, we thank You once again, Lord, uh, for Your inspired Word. And we just ask that You would speak to us by Your Word through Your Holy Spirit today, Lord. May may Christ be glorified and and may Your will be done. In Christ's name, Amen. So real quickly, since we're finishing 1 Peter, I'll just do a flyover summary of the book that we've looked at. And I think we're all well aware that the the main theme of the book is suffering. Suffering for the name of Christ. I think that's very obvious. We'll see it again today, right to the very end. So Peter wrote to believers, guys, if you guys remember, who were, who were scattered to the outermost regions of the Roman Empire due to the persecution coming from Nero. Uh, Peter writes to comfort them, we can see in chapter 1, that they right off from the very start, we're going to see this today, and we saw it right from the very start, that they, that they were chosen in Christ. And that they have an inheritance waiting for them in, in heaven. And, and he continues to go to that early on in the letter. That, that they need to remember what they have reserved for them in heaven. The trials that they go through are for their good. We have seen that, we have seen that throughout this letter. That God uses these trials to, uh, to sanctify them for the day of Christ. Remember that language he would use, for the day of Christ, that day of the revelation, when we stand before Christ. As aliens and strangers to this world, Peter exhorts them, and obviously guys, this applies to us, he's exhorting us, to godly living. You know, we was about in the middle of the letter, really, really there was a, a good chapter or so of just his... His exhortation to godly living, submitting, right, to different authorities, submitting to governing authorities, uh, servants with their masters, that would, you know, employees to employers more so in our day, wives to husbands. And of course, we talked about that there, there would be times when we would not be, when we would not need to submit if we're asked to sin, or if a, if a certain authority in a certain sphere is, is really getting out of what he's what He's been assigned to do from God. That there are times we resist. But by and large, we are to be people who submit to authorities. 
And then husbands and wives, we're to, we're to treat our wives in an understanding, gracious way. So just basic God to live in. To be willing to suffer unjustly, unjustly for righteousness' sake, like our Lord when He was on earth, like Christ. To share the sufferings of Christ and respond like He did. And when it said that He was reviled and, not, and did not revile in return, there's our example. Knowing again that suffering is God's will. Uh, this last chapter in, in chapter 5. Suffering is God's will. He sanctifies. Remember it says He judges, first of all, the household of God. But meaning, meaning that he, it's a sanctification, it's a cleansing that He does through suffering. And then He instructed, Peter instructed just here a few verses ago, His, his fellow elders, really on how to properly shepherd the flock that God has given them. And he reminded those in the church, the young men and really all of the body of Christ to be submissive to the elders, to the leaders. And then the command for all of you that we looked at these last, this last week or two, for all of you, all of us, to, to, to be on guard against pride, right? To not be proud. We want to be like Christ, not like the devil. So to, to really watch out for pride, to avoid pride, to submit to God to humble ourselves and to be on guard last week against your adversary who is the devil. To, to resist him. Remember that, that just means to be active, not to be passive, but to resist him firm in your faith, firm in the truth, to stand in the truth. And then today we're going to finish the letter by seeing really that God will sustain you. He will sustain us to the very end. And so the title of the message today, I think that's a, a great way to end it, guys, is just to really focus on the grace of God. The God of all grace. The, the phrase we see in verse 10. That's the title of the message. The God of all grace. And if you guys know anything about what the Bible says about grace, we could, we could, we could preach a series through that. And, uh, but we will spend some time on just the God of all grace. So really, the the uh, really the ma- the main point, I guess you could say, of the sermon, it, it, and it could be the main point of the entire book, is is this: you can endure suffering because your God chose you in Christ. He chose you in Christ. He called you to Himself, and He will sustain you through all the suffering to the very end. I know that's kind of a long sentence. That's really the summary of the book of First Peter. And, and our text today. Your God chose you in Christ, called you to Himself, and He will sustain you through all the suffering to the very end. To the very end. So, because of that, we can endure suffering, guys. Not because of us, because of Him, the God of all grace. So we'll look at five points today. Uh, really, I really struggled on how to word these, but I'm, I'm more important on just being accurate with, with what the text is saying rather than coming up with a cute little whatever the phrase is called. <laughs> where where all, they all start with the, the same letter. What is that called? Acronym. Is that right? Acronym. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes you just might want to try to avoid that just to be faithful to the text. So. But the first point today, guys, is, is um, suffering is temporary. And on the first three points... I put this phrase in front of each one. And it's this. You can endure suffering because 
Firstly, in verse 10, suffering is temporary. Okay? You can endure suffering because suffering is temporary. Okay? Suffering is temporary, and that's why you can endure suffering. And we see it very clearly in verse 10. After you have suffered uh, for a little while, we'll stop there. After you have suffered for a little while, for a little while, this is not the first time Peter used that phrase. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, we see it. In this you greatly rejoice, and the context is the exact same as well. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So this suffering, these trials, are only for a little while, guys. This phrase, little while, guys, it's just simply referring to your life here. That's what it is. There's no set time, but it's, it's, it's your life. The life that you have, the life that I have, we could say more broader, it's this age that we live in, but it's each individual life. So ask yourself, what trials are you going through, guys? We all go through trials. Right? The specific trial we're dealing with is suffering persecution. But we know we face trials of many kinds. So think, what trials have you gone through? What trials are you currently going through? Maybe you are going through rejection because of your faith. Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a parent who rejects you because of your faith. Maybe it's a child who rejects you because of your faith. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a, a co-worker, a friend. Maybe you've lost friendships because of your faith. And it's one thing to talk about these things, but when you go through them, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. So you may be suffering in, in that regard. You may be suffering health-wise. I'm not what you consider old, but I'm older than most of you. And so I can say that at the age of almost 47, remember how I've compared our bodies to like a used car? My car's a little older. And so you start, things start wearing out. My joints, it's like I want to remain active and do the things I used to do, but my joints hurt. And so the older you get, and, and, and sometimes you don't have to be old, we're just... A health issue is put upon us. That's a trial. So guys, it may be that. It may be just disappointments that you have in life. Something you you are expecting in life that has not come about. These are all a form of suffering. Might be loneliness. Maybe loneliness because you're desiring a spouse. Maybe loneliness because you're a Christian and you feel lonely. There could be all kinds of reasons that we feel lonely. Sometimes loneliness comes on kind of like depression. You can be surrounded by people who love you and you just feel lonely. Loss of a loved one, right? We've all experienced these trials that we we experience in this life. But what do we need to remember, first of all, that we can endure these trials, these suffering, because it's just for a little while, guys. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 16 through 18. We're going to read just a couple of short passages from Paul. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. We'll see Paul really talking about the exact same thing in a couple of places. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And if you read this, he's talking about the same thing. All the suffering that Paul went through. Remember this, guys. As we're reading this, none of us have suffered even 
remotely closely to the way the Apostle Paul did. Okay? Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. I'll make a few comments here in a minute. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So why do we not lose heart? Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart. Why do we not lose heart, guys? The answer to that, as we'll see throughout the next few moments, is because of our God of all grace. Okay, That's why in the end, we don't lose heart. Because of who God is. He talks about our outer man right, is decaying. That, that's what I just spoke about. Our health. Our outer man is decaying, guys. Your body is decaying. From the time we're born, our body is dying. That's a reality that we've all got to face. But not our inner man. Our inner man is being strengthened. It's being made into the image of Christ. So we don't lose heart. He says in verse 17, this momentary light affliction. See, it's the same language. And that's not to make light, guys, of any suffering that you're going through. It's not to make light of it. But it's just to remember that it's momentary. It may not seem that it's momentary, but in comparison, that's the phrase you need to remember. In comparison to eternity, our suffering, our very life, is momentary. And that's something that we need to find comfort in. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but as a Christian, we look at the, we focus on the things that are not seen, right? You've never seen Christ, right? I've never seen Christ. You ever been laughed at? Because that's ridiculous. You just mocked and laughed at and called, you're, you're foolish. You base all of your life on something that you don't see? And we say, yes, amen. Because God has opened our eyes. He's, he's, he's given us life. He's given us eyes to see the eternal. And for all these reasons, guys, we don't lose heart. And then in, and then in Romans 8.18, 8, Paul says to the, to the Romans, he says this, for I consider that the, the sufferings of this present age, you hear it? Hear it? It's the same language. The sufferings of this present, this present time are not worthy to be compared. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, it's a comparison. It's putting things in their proper perspective. These sufferings are only for a little while. Momentary. And even in comparison to the glory that we're going to See, it's, it's very light affliction, right? What can they do? Take away your body? Kill your body? But they can't take away your soul. No amount of suffering. And so in this life, again, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be sadness. Sometimes you, you just get so sad and depressed that you just feel like quitting. I hope I'm not the only one who has felt that way. You just feel like quitting. Just waves of depression come over me at times. 
Physical pain, emotional pain, heartache, temptations. Again, rejection, hatred from other people. Does this this sound a lot like a lot of the Christian life, the reality of it? It does. And some of it's just suffering from living in this world, whether you're a Christian or not. But we have to remember, guys, the time. The suffering is temporary. Picture a never-ending line. There's not a beginning, not an end. And you could take the smallest needle, the smallest head of a needle, and, and that's doesn't even do justice to how short our life is in comparison to eternity, okay? So the first thing we need to remember, guys, is that suffering, whatever suffering you're going through right now or what you will go through, remember this truth from the inspired Word of God that it's only for a little while, okay? It's only temporary. And you can endure because of that. Secondly, in verse 10, the rest of verse 10, you can endure suffering to the very end because... God is gracious. Because God is gracious. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. That's really what stuck out to me in this passage. The God of all grace. That's who we serve. That's who we're following. The God of all grace who calls you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, God does it all. We see that. So the God of all grace. This phrase, it just means He is the possessor and the giver of all grace. If there's grace to be had, it's from God. He possesses it all, and He's the one who gives it all. We'll look at, we'll look at what, we, what theologians call common grace for a moment. You are living today, guys, and you know this. I'm I'm preaching to the choir, but you are sitting here today and still alive because of God's grace. Amen? Because of God's grace. Do you cause your heart to continue beating? Nope. We don't do that. Do we have the ability to position the earth where it is in relation to the sun, enabling us to live? Right? Just a little bit further away, we'd freeze and vice versa, we'd burn. No, God does this. Because He's a gracious God. Enables us to live, to survive. Do we provide the air that we breathe? Absolutely not. The water that we drink? Nope. The food that we eat? God is the provider. Because of His grace. And He provides all of this and so much more even to those who despise Him. He's the God of all grace, even common grace. In His common grace, He allows sinners to live another day. How gracious is that? To eat not just food, but tasty food. Aren't you glad that not everything tastes like Dirt. I've had some food that tastes like dirt. But God is so kind, even to those who despise Him, that He gives us tasty food. He gives somebody who despises Him the the ability to enjoy His creation, although they might not give Him glory. Anybody can look at a sunset and be amazed. That's That's His common grace. 
The ability to enjoy relationships, to love and to be loved, to enjoy laughter, good health, the ability to earn wealth that God gives because He's a gracious God, to achieve goals, and on and on and on. It's simply because He is the God of all grace. He is kind to sinners. God is so kind to sinners. And it's it's my hope that anybody who would be here today or who would hear this, who have not who has not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, that you would realize how kind God is to sinners. Paul says in Romans 2, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Okay, this is all this is all grace language. To- kindness, tolerance, and patience. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. The kindness of God leads a sinner to repentance. If people would just stop and realize, obviously, with that, understanding the Gospel, understanding their sin, but having an understanding that I have been so wicked in my life, I have used my mouth to curse God, I have despised Him, and yet... How kind has He been to me in all these areas. He's been so kind and so patient. He graciously allows sinners to hear the Gospel. That is grace. We take that for granted. People take that for granted. To even be able to hear the Gospel is because of God's grace. And it's in His Gospel where His grace is truly displayed. That I know many of us in here Understand that completely. That that's where His grace, we see His grace truly displayed. Which again, we see promised all the way back in Genesis 3, called the covenant of grace. Where God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. In which we see fulfilled and fully revealed in the new covenant. Where Christ shed His blood on the cross. That we're gonna that we're gonna remember that we're gonna celebrate today. We are dependent upon His grace for our salvation, are we not? We're dependent upon God for His grace. The Bible says in Ephesians two that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. This is the doctrine of total depravity, total inability that we were dead in our sins. It says that our hearts are deceitful above all things, the prophet Jeremiah says, and desperately wicked. That was our state. And it says because of that, in the book of Psalms and in Romans 3, that none seek after God. We don't come into this world seeking after God. But the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Do you see the grace? Dead in our sin. No desire. No seeking after God. No ability to come to God. And God set His love upon us. Because of His grace. The Bible says that those whom the Father chose out of this world, which it, which it calls the church, Christ also loved in Ephesians 5 and gave Himself up for her. You see the the flow here, guys. The Bible says that 
those that God chose, whom Christ died for, that God will call to Himself. This is the effectual call. And, and we see that in verse 10, guys. We just read it. The God of all grace who calls you to His eternal glory. He called you when you were dead in your sins. He made you alive. He called you. The inward or the effectual call. Jesus describes it in John chapter 10. He said, I laid down my life for my sheep. And it says He calls His sheep by name. That's when God calls you to Himself. Opens your eyes. Removes the blinders, right? Once I was lost, I was blind, but now I see. That's that, that's that call that Jesus talks about. He says I, I, He'll call His sheep by name and they will hear His voice. And you know the evidence of hearing His voice is this. He says they will hear My voice and follow Him. That's the evidence that somebody's truly been called by God is they begin to follow after Him. Because of our inability and our slavery to sin, God in His grace, right? Remember, the God of all grace, God in His grace must awaken us and call us to Himself for anybody to be saved. And that's what is meant in John 6.44 where Jesus says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. And that language is, is literally dragging, like dragging a dead corpse. Or dragging, pulling up a, a bucket out of the well. Something that's lifeless. It says, I will raise him up on the last day. The God of all grace that Ephesians 2 talks about so beautifully. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? The wrath of God was upon us. And it says, but God, being rich in mercy, He caused us to be born again. He made us alive together. That language. In other words, He saves us completely, guys. The God of all grace. The God of all grace saves us completely from beginning to end. Amen? All of grace. Salvation is of the Lord. John MacArthur said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Very short and true statement. We would have lost our salvation one second after we were saved if we could. But it says this in, in, in verse 10. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What is this saying? These words really have... These four words really have... Really, really, almost the exact same meaning. He's saying that the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will strengthen you and cause you to endure to the end. That's the language. We are going to endure to the end, be made complete because of the God of all grace. Mark 13, 13, Jesus says this, He who endures to the end will be saved. Now, if you take that verse out of context, like a lot of people do, you can, you can try to form a works righteousness, right? Earn your way. You've got to endure to the end. But if you guys didn't notice, I was just going through the doctrines of grace. And so we get to this last one, the perseverance of the saints. How do you and I endure to the end? 1 Peter 5.10 tells us, the one who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, the God of all grace, 
We've already looked at His grace from before the foundation of the world to the time He, he, he sent Christ. Christ died for those whom God chose. God calls them. He draws them. Awakens them. Justifies them. We can, we can talk more. But it says, the, the God of all grace, He will strengthen you. He will cause you to endure to the end. How, how do we endure? The question I just asked. How do you endure? Let, let's just read verse 10 again, and then we'll go, we'll look at it. We'll talk about it some more. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It takes, in other words, guys, it takes the God of all grace to establish and complete us. It takes that. We, we are unable to do that on our own. Listen to Jeremiah 32.40. The prophet Jeremiah writes this, Thus saith the Lord, I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn from me. What a promise, guys. That is God preserving His people to the end. He said, I will not turn away from them and I will put the fear of me inside of their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. That is how we endure to the end because of God's covenant that He made with us. Philippians 1.6, Paul says it this way, For I am confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will perfect it, there's that language, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you guys see God's grace? We're going to make it to the end, guys, because of Christ. Because of the God of all grace. Because of His covenant that He made with us. And then I'm going to read uh, a paragraph out of the Confession that speaks to the perseverance of the saints that I thought was really good. That goes right along with this. It's chapter 17, the first paragraph. The perseverance of the saints. Those God has, accept, has accepted in the Beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, and given the precious faith of His elect, can neither totally nor finally fall from a state of grace. They will certainly persevere in grace to the end and be eternally saved because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Therefore, He still brings about and nourishes in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit that lead to immortality. Even though many storms, right, that's what we're talking about, even though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet these things will never be able to move the elect from the foundation and rock to which they are anchored by faith. The felt sight of the light and the love of God may be clouded and obscured from them for a time through their unbelief and the temptations of Satan, yet God is still the same the God of all grace, they will certainly be kept by the power of God for salvation where they will enjoy their purchase 
possession, that inheritance that Peter's been talking about. For they are engraved on the palms of His hands and their names have been written in the book of the life from all eternity. Praise God, guys. That's how, that is why any of us, well, every one of us in Christ will endure to the end, okay? We will endure. You will be able to suffer, endure suffering to the very end. First of all, because suffering is temporary. Secondly, because God is gracious. And then thirdly, you will be able to endure suffering to the very end because God is sovereign. He is sovereign. In verse 11, to Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we just looked at an aspect of the sovereignty in salvation. But this, this is a doxology here. And this phrase, his, speaking about His dominion, it's just referring to the sovereignty and the power of God. Signifying His strength and power. To have everything in the universe under His sovereign control. Aren't you guys glad that we serve a God who is sovereign and in control? What a crazy universe that would be if God wasn't in control. If He wasn't, then who is? But that's this dominion. Listen Listen to how the psalmist describes this in Psalm 66 verse 7. It says, He rules by His might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. That is our sovereign God who dominion belongs to Him. He rules by His might, His power, His strength. And His eyes keep watching all the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. What have we looked at just a couple weeks ago? Those who exalt themselves, whether it's a nation, whether it's an individual, it says they will be humbled. And that's a warning. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves because they will be humbled. So in this age, the Bible talks about wars and rumors of wars. We're seeing it in our day still. It's been going on and it will continue. There's there's wars, there's rumors of wars. And and remember this, guys. That as we see these things happening in our day, remember this, this one fact that God is accomplishing His purposes in the midst of it all. Okay? None of this surprises God. None of it affects what God's doing. The leaven of the Gospel. The leaven meaning the influence. The influence of the Gospel will continue to spread in this world, guys, until the last of God's elect is drawn to the Savior. And no amount of what we, could, what we look at as, as wars and rumors of wars and violence and chaos, God is in control of it all. I think by way of application with what's going on in our world, we would need to remember as the church here in the West to to pray. To pray for these things as we see them happening in our day. It can be a scary time, but to pray. Pray for the church in the Ukraine. Pray Pray for the gospel to advance there. Pray for God to strengthen them. To 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 make them courageous. 
Many times in history, that's when the spread of the Gospel explodes. It's during these dark times. And so let's pray for that. He rules over the nations. I think it was R.C. Sproul, or I know it was R.C. Sproul, that said this. I don't know if this is an exact quote, but real close. You know, not only does He rule over the nations... But there's not a single maverick molecule outside of His divine control. He is in control. Okay? And as we discussed last week, Martin Luther said the devil is God's devil. Remember that? The devil is God's devil. Meaning, he is under God's sovereign control used by God for His purposes. And it is this sovereign, powerful God, guys, who is able to keep you to the end. You will endure to the end. You will endure all suffering to the very end because suffering is short. It's temporary because God is gracious and because God is sovereign and powerful. So these first three points is really for you to just take comfort in. Be encouraged. And, and, and really after verse 10, that's, that's really the end of the letter. The next three verses are just a, 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 some closing comments and some, some final words and greetings that, it, that He says. And so that brings us to our fourth point in verse 12. He says this, through Salvanus or, or Silas, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So point number four, because of these first three points we've looked at, we can endure suffering to the very end because of who God is, because suffering is temporal, because God is gracious, because God is sovereign. So point number four, so... Or because of that, stand firm in the gospel. Okay? Stand firm in the gospel. This is an exhortation to you, to me, from Peter. We are to stand firm in the gospel. Just real quickly. Uh, he mentions Salvanus. Uh, the same as, as, as Silas. Meaning more than likely the same Silas that we read about in the book of Acts. And he just says... So some people think about Silvanus, where it says that he was our faithful brother, for, our, for so I regard him, that he may have helped Peter write this letter, or simply helped deliver it. No one knows for sure, but what we do know is what he says in that verse, that he was a faithful brother. He was a faithful brother. So you and I, guys, we need to thank God for faithful brothers and sisters. That would, that's what we would take from that, guys. That you need, okay? You need to give thanks to God if God has given you faithful brothers, faithful sisters in the Lord. Don't take it for granted. They're a gift from God. And he says this, uh, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. This. What does it mean by this? What he's written, this letter that he's written is the true grace of God. There we see the grace of God. 
So this, this letter that he wrote to these persecuted, scattered believers, this is the true grace of God. This is a claim to inspiration of his writings. This is the truth. This is the true grace of God. Did you know that there's grace of God that's not true? Just like there's false gospels? Oh, there's, there's really only one. There's really only one gospel. There's really only one grace of God. But this is the true grace of God. It's not the grace, for example, in our day, it's not the grace of the Mormons. They'll say, yeah, we're saved by grace. They will say that to you. Oh yeah, we agree with you. But this is what they mean by grace. God gives you grace, and what that grace is, it's the ability to earn your way to heaven. That's their definition of grace. That's not the true grace of God. That God shows us before the foundation of the world, made us alive, called us to Himself, sent His Son to die to pay our sin debt. You see the difference? This is the true grace of God. It's not the grace of the Hebrew Israelites. And any, any works, righteousness, cult, it's going to be similar. But listen to this. This is what they say grace is. Because they will even say, I've heard them say, oh yeah, we're saved by grace. You won't hear them say it very often, but they will. But this is what they mean. They define it as a time period. A grace period. They, they compare it to like a, a grace period that before your rent's due and you're earning enough money to pay your rent. It's a time period so you can, so you can get back to law keeping and earn your way to heaven. It's very bizarre. So in other words, we're saved by grace. That grace is just a time period to get it right. That's not the true grace of God. No, Peter says, this is the true grace of God. We'll look back just real quickly and we can see some examples of this in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, mercy and grace, very closely related, but according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again. Do you see the grace there? God does it to undeserving sinners. And it says to a living hope. To a living hope. What's that living hope based upon? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's everything that God has done. The resurrection of Christ, which implies the death of Christ. And we can see that in verse in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, right? He's the just one, the perfect one, the righteous one. And He died for the unjust, the unrighteous. He died for sinners. So that He might bring us to God. That's the Gospel. That Christ died for sinners, that He was buried, and He rose again on the third day, and that is our hope. And that is where our life is found by in what Christ did. And Peter says, this is the true grace of God. This letter that I've written to you. He's talked about grace in this letter from beginning to end in different ways. And he says, this is the grace of God. And then getting back to our fourth point, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Guys, we have the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by that grace. We are saved by this gracious God who sent His Son 
Demonstrating His love for sinners, He sent His Son, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so He's telling us, stand firm in this. And so, beloved, I am exhorting you, stand firm in the Gospel. The one and only Gospel of Jesus Christ. That means to stand solidly. Don't compromise. There are things that we can compromise and have differences in, but not the true grace of God. Stand firm. Be immovable. When you're in the minority, stand firm in in the true grace of God. In the Gospel. When you're laughed at, just stand firm. Graciously. But firmly. When attacked, stand firm. Hold your ground. When tempted again, through discouragement, through trials of different kinds, when tempted to throw in the towel, stand firm. Focus upon the Gospel. When accused of being unloving, because you're you're, you're standing on the words of Christ, that He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And people will say, that's unloving. Stand firm. This is the true grace of God. And He says, stand firm in the truth. Or like we looked at last week, remember the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Stand firm in it. And then verse 13 real quickly, just a few comments on that and then we'll close with verse 14. It says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. She just meaning the church, okay? The church who is in Babylon. Most commentators think that's really talking about Rome, okay? Could be talking about physical Babylon. But many think, uh, I noticed more of the older writers thought it was Babylon, more of the newer current ones think it's Rome. But it's the church, and the point is this, guys, in verse 13. We see the word chosen again. The church that it's in, who's in Rome, who sends you greetings, or who's in Babylon and sends you greetings, is chosen together with you. Chosen together with you. In other words, you're not alone, guys. You're not alone. We're not alone. We're never alone in this pilgrimage. You're not alone individually. You have brothers and sisters who are here with you. And we're not alone. We're not the only church. You're not alone. And he says, they send you greetings as does my son Mark. This is, this is John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark and who tradition says Peter helped him write that Gospel. So you could almost call it the Gospel of Peter. But that's who this Mark was. And then in verse 14, we're going to close. We're going to finish, close this letter with our last and final point. And it's this. After seeing that the God of all grace is going to sustain us to the end, that we can endure suffering because of who He is, that we're to stand firm in the Gospel, And know that, last of all, there is peace in Christ. There is peace in Christ. This is the last verse of the letter. I just read this verse a while ago, but all the way in verse 3 in chapter 1, we see that our hope is in Christ through His resurrection. And He's closing the letter. It's bracketed. 
you can see you can see him talking about the grace of God in the beginning and the grace of God at the end. And we see that our that there is peace in Christ in verse 14. So let this be a word of comfort to you as he closes this letter out. Be comforted. It says, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. So as we exit today, we will give this kiss of love to one another. Check and see if you're awake. But I think you guys understand it's just a, it was a symbol of affection in that day. And in many cultures still today. That's the sign of affection that they give. Kiss on the cheek. There's nothing sensual about it. In our culture, it's more of a, a handshake or a hug. But, it, but, the, but the, the point is, is, I hope you have this affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And not everybody's a hugger. But I hope we have that affection for those whom we're on this pilgrimage with. And I'll say this about this peace. This peace of God comes from having peace with God. Always remember that. That to have the peace of God, it comes from, first of all, having peace with God. So he says, peace be to you all. It doesn't end there. It says, all who are in Christ. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Romans 5.1 says it real clearly. Paul says, having been justified by faith. Right? We're justified by faith. That, that word justified, again, it's a, it's a legal term. We're legally declared righteous before a holy God, before a judge. We're, we're right with God, having been justified by faith, not works, but by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, there's a lot in that verse. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're seeing. That true peace only comes through being in Christ. And so for those who are in Christ, be comforted that you not only have the peace of God, but that you're at peace with God. Paul says it clearly in Colossians 1 verse 20. Speaking about God's, or speaking about sinners who it says were alienated in their, in their, in their minds through evil deeds. They were at enmity with God and it says, He, speaking of Christ, made peace through the blood of His cross. He made peace through the blood of His cross, guys. And before we close this letter out, just know that all these reasons we have talked about today, the the grace of God, the fact that suffering is temporal, no matter how bad you may suffer, specifically persecution, it's, 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 it's short. It's just for a little while. And that God is gracious. That the salvation that we stand in is totally His from the beginning to the end. We're in, we're in His hands. Remember Jesus said, nobody can, can pluck them out of My hands. And we see that He's sovereign and He's powerful. And we see that He made peace through the blood of His cross. And if you have trusted in that blood, then beloved, all these reasons are reasons to have boldness during this life. To have courage. 
to stand firm because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who our God is. And this is where this is where sinners for somebody who who has not been saved, who has not been reconciled to God, this is where sinners of all kinds fornicators, right? Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 6? This was all of us. Such were some of you. Right? We were all in this category in one way or another. This is where fornicators can be can find peace with God at the cross and murderers and adulterers and liars and thieves and drunkards and drug pushers and homosexuals and gossips and religious Pharisees and you can just go on down the list at the blood of the cross or at the foot of the cross he made peace through through his blood again what we're going to remember here in just a moment this covenant that God has made with us in His blood, that is where sinners can find peace with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And remember the phrase, a little while. It's a little while. He was, he was referencing it to, to suffering. Just for a little while. This, this life is just for a little while. And so us as believers can find comfort in that. But a warning to those who are not in Christ, a little while, this life is just a little while. It's like a breath. It's like a mist. It's like a passing shadow. So the urgent message for you today, if you do not know Christ, is to get right with God today. To find peace with God by trusting in the One who shed His blood for your sins on the cross. And just to drive that point home, remember the words of Christ in Mark 8, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Right? The whole world. Whole world. Just a little while. You may gain everything here, but it's just a little while. And forfeit his soul, which is forever. And he says in the next verse, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's the question for the sinner who has not come to Christ. What are you willing to give? What sin is so precious to you that you'll exchange it for your soul? I'd rather hold on to this than to my soul that's going to live forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for Your grace. The only reason we're here today, the only reason we're alive, the only reason we're able to worship You is because of that one word, Your grace. Thank You for Your grace, Lord. We thank You that You are so kind. You've been so kind to us. You've been so patient with us. And we thank You for that, Lord. Thank You for Your Son. Thank You for the covenant that You made 
with sinful humanity 6,000 years ago that you promised to send your son to destroy the works of the devil, to die for us, to crush his head through his death and resurrection. Thank you for that. And Lord, we just want to remember that today. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.